This is an ABC podcast. Just after midnight on a day in July 2014, a Boeing 777 took off from Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport. Three hours later, air traffic control lost contact with it. A Malaysian Airlines jet flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur appears to have been shot down over eastern Ukraine. The plane was blown to pieces by a surface-to-air missile and debris was strewn across three villages in southeastern Ukraine. Obviously, the world is watching reports of a downed passenger jet near the Russia-Ukraine border. 298 people, including 193 Dutch passengers, 43 Malaysians and 27 Australians, were killed. The Dutch-Australian investigation found the missile that brought MH17 down was Russian-made. After a lot of work, the Investigation Commission has come to the conclusion that the missile came from the 53rd Missile Brigade, based in Kursk, Russia. The world blamed Russia. Look, I'm going to shirt front, Mr Putin. Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. Four people three with ties to Russian intelligence, have been charged over the attack. We have enough evidence to go to court. But Vladimir Putin has always maintained Russia had nothing to do with MH17. There are different versions of this tragedy, but somehow or other nobody's taking these into account. Are you saying this was not a Russian missile? It was not, certainly. It was not. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is Russia If You're Listening, a podcast about Russia's attempts to undermine the Western world. When MH17 was shot down, there was tragedy and then there was chaos. Do you know for sure what happened? Things were broadcast on television, and it's hard to know if they're true. He says he witnessed a fighter jet belonging to the Ukrainian Air Force take off with anti-air missiles. But at least it's a possibility of a motive that the Ukrainians might have shot it down. The downing of MH17 is only one episode in a series of confusing events. It happened during a maelstrom of lies spinning around Putin's invasions of Crimea and eastern Ukraine. Today on Russia, if you're listening, how Vladimir Putin uses propaganda to confuse and divide. surprise you to hear that Vladimir Putin is in a motorcycle gang? It shouldn't, it's quite on brand for him. They're called the Night Wolves and they're the largest motorbike gang in Russia. And in February 2014, they rolled into Crimea. Crimea is a peninsula in the Black Sea. It's almost as big as Tasmania. It's connected to mainland Ukraine by a teeny tiny little spit of land. And it's separated from Russia by only three kilometres of water. Despite that, Vladimir Putin sees it as very much a part of his domain. In Crimea, everything is saturated with our joint history. The graves of Russian soldiers are in Crimea. Crimea is a nice place full of people who primarily speak Russian. It has a warm climate compared with Moscow and is a hotspot for tourism. That is, until the Night Wolves Motorcycle Club rolled in. 
The Night Wolves have over 7,000 members in Russia. They are fiercely nationalistic. Anyone from the former Soviet countries can join. Well, anyone who is a man, not a drug addict, and definitely not gay. They wear leather, they ride Harleys, and they have a cool Flaming Wolf logo. But unlike most bikie gangs you know of, they love the government, and the government loves them. They're essentially enforcers for Putin, who suits up and rides with them from time to time, because of course he does. I really think our president is a great person. This is gang leader Alexander the Surgeon Zaldostinov. And why is this big, scary-looking guy called the Surgeon? Is he good at cutting people up? Is he proficient with knives? Nope, he's a dentist. Putin's the only one I'm not ashamed of. Putin's the only one who loves Russia for real. When the Night Wolves arrived in Crimea, they set up an arena and put on a big stunt show. The message was clear. Putin was coming. The Night Wolves were in position. But you need more than an enthusiastic motorcycle gang to conduct a successful invasion. Luckily for Putin, when Russia and Ukraine separated in the 90s, Russia kept a naval base in the middle of Crimea's largest city, Sevastopol, full of 25,000 troops. Now, for two decades, that hadn't really been a problem because Russia and Ukraine had been friendly. Ukraine and Russia are friends. I think it's no bad thing that the Russian fleet is based here. Russia even paid Ukraine rent for the base. But then Putin decided to pick a fight. And when the Night Wolves had arrived, and the word was given, those 25,000 troops marched out of their naval base. Russian troops spreading out throughout the uh, strategic Crimean Peninsula. And took over. This is a Russian invasion, the US says. It has no doubt these are Russian forces. Vice News' Simon Ostrovsky was there. What's been happening so far is that Russian soldiers have been going up to various Ukrainian bases and trying to take them over. At first, Russia said that they didn't know who all those guys in military uniform were. So I think these guys got their training from the guards outside of Buckingham Palace because they're not saying a word to anybody. Yeah, they don't want to say anything. They're not wearing any insignia, but it's pretty clear that they're Russian. It was pretty clear. Their guns are the same as those used by the Russian army. Their trucks had Russian number plates and they were speaking with Russian accents. The locals started calling them little green men because they might as well have been from Mars. The little green men spread across Crimea. But it was a whole month before Putin would admit that they were actually from Russia. Those polite uh, young gentlemen you mean are in green uniform. They were acting uh, very uh, correctly, but at the same time uh, decisively and professionally. This invasion was happening because Putin wanted to boost his approval ratings back home. And taking over a bit of another country is kind of a great way of doing that. This was the first time someone had nicked or annexed a bit of another country in the 21st century, and it's kind of frowned upon. The international community will continue to stand together to oppose any violations of Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity. And continued Russian military intervention in Ukraine will only deepen Russia's diplomatic isolation. So you need to spin it to make it all look a bit more acceptable. And for that, 
Putin went to the best guy in the business. Мастер смеха, Киселев в эфире. Зачитаю о себе и о том, что происходит в мире. Мне 64, бро. Я встаю в 5 утра. This dope mofo is 66-year-old Dmitry Kislyov. He's rapping about how much America sucks and how rad his TV show is. And why wouldn't he be pumped? He is the host of Russia's most popular TV news show, Vesti Nadeli. As well as his passion for music, Kislyov talks about other things very passionately on his show. Homophobia, for example. The gays should be prohibited from donating blood, sperm, and their hearts in the case of a car accident should be buried or burned as unfit for extending anyone's life. He is predictably a big fan of Putin. He talks a lot about Putin's incredible power. Russia is the only country in the world really capable of turning the US into radioactive ash. He also dabbles in a bit of racism. Here he is talking about how Michelle Obama looked at Donald Trump's inauguration. At the inauguration, Michelle, in her short sleeve dress, looked like Melania's cleaning lady accidentally appearing in the photo as if she had just removed her white apron. This prompted the BBC to write an article calling him racist. Then Kisilyov aired a segment about how the BBC was racist for calling him a racist. Is the BBC suggesting that all blacks are maids and all maids are black? Now that is racist nonsense. Typical BBC. See, right now you're wondering if you might have been a little bit racist. You're wondering if by listening to what he said about Michelle Obama and assuming that he was using a black stereotype, maybe you're the racist one. This is one of Kisilyov's specialities, turning sins committed by powerful Russians like him into sins committed by Western media. You can see why he's such an effective propagandist. Which is why just as the Ukrainian crisis was beginning, Putin made him the head of his main propaganda arm. He had his own TV show, and now he was also in charge of sending Putin's propaganda out to all of the country's TV channels. And he got to work quickly. See, there's a serious flaw in the way traditional Western media works in places like the US. It's really bad at dealing with people who don't care if they're caught lying. Kislyov is one of these people. His job was to spin Russia's invasion of Crimea, and he began by creating an alternate reality where the invasion wasn't happening at all. Russia's international propaganda network RT, a 24-hour English-language news channel funded by the Russian government, started broadcasting the good news. The Western media has been flooded with reports going as far as suggesting the Russian army is invading Ukraine. But RT said that Western coverage was wrong, and there was no way that Russia was in Crimea. The coverage has ignored the following facts. President Putin has not made an official order for the deployment of the military. Russia has never said it wants war with Ukraine or that it's interested in annexing Crimea. That was a lie. But the Western media didn't really know how to call that out, so they did what they do, and they gave Russia's story equal weight in their reports to the Ukrainian story. Ukraine's new government calls it an invasion and occupation by Russian forces. Moscow denies any involvement. There are no troops whatsoever, no Russian troops, at least. 
The Obama administration wasn't buying it. US sanctions came Russia's way, causing even more problems for Putin's economy. His cronies were in strife too. Kizilyov was banned from entering the US and locked out of his international bank accounts. The global community began to shun Russia. And tonight, Russia has been suspended from the elite group of eight top world powers. And I think we should be discussing whether or not to expel Russia permanently from the G8 if further steps are taken. Putin had paid a significant price for Crimea. But there was still some lingering doubt around the world about what exactly had happened there. It was a bit confusing. Still, people tell me on Twitter that Russia never invaded Crimea, even though they absolutely did. But in terms of confusion, the worst was yet to come, when Putin invaded a different part of Ukraine. The region he was after is in Ukraine's industrial southeast, close to the Russian border. So Putin sent in some FSB spies, as well as some military, those little green men, and some tanks, to help stir up revolution. And it was ripe for the taking. There were already plenty of Putin supporters living there, speaking Russian, watching Russian TV, and hearing Putin's propaganda. It was a swift and brutal display of force. In the first few months, a thousand people were killed as Russian-backed rebels clashed with Ukraine's military. The killings were terrible. But this was a propaganda war too, and Russia went all in with a story about a crucified child and a warning. This is difficult to listen to. They took a child, three years old, a little boy. He was wearing little briefs and a T-shirt. They nailed him like Jesus to the announcement board. According to the woman being interviewed on Russian state television, it was the Ukrainian army doing this. And all of this was in front of his mother's eyes. The mother watched all this happen. How the child was shedding blood, screaming, crying. She said that she saw the child die. And then after the child suffered an hour and a half and died after all of this. Then his mother was tortured and killed too. They took the mother, tied her unconscious to a tank and dragged her around the square three times. This almost certainly never happened. The Spectator and Economist reported that the eyewitness is actually an actress and her story was entirely made up by Putin's propagandists either plucked out of the clear blue sky or perhaps inspired by an episode of Game of Thrones. There's one on every mile marker between here and Marine. How many miles are there between here and Marine? Which went to air a couple of months beforehand. 163, Your Grace. And featured crucified I'll children. I'm to ride ahead and bury them. You don't need to see this. You will do no such thing. It's not the only piece of propaganda Russia was peddling. Putin also claimed the Russians weren't involved in the violence at all. He said it was a local revolution, not a Russian invasion. This is nonsense. There are no Russian armed forces anywhere in the east of Ukraine. There are no special forces nor instructors. All these people are local citizens. The propaganda push from the Kremlin became so strong that even hosts on RT started freaking out and quitting. Just because I work here for RT doesn't mean I don't have editorial independence. And that is why personally I cannot be part of a network funded by the Russian government that whitewashes the actions of Putin. But Putin's propaganda worked. The Western media might not have totally believed Russia's version of events, but it 
tried to do what Western media does and report both sides of the story. And that just confused everyone. I'm not sure, frankly, that we know very much about uh, what's happening. And so the conflict in Ukraine became too complex for the rest of the world to follow, which was exactly the point of the Russian propaganda. Nobody knows what's going on, so we put together an informative segment for you tonight called Understanding the Ukraine Crisis. The current crisis can be traced back to... There is nothing to understand. Mind your own business. For several months, war raged in Ukraine, with few people outside the region paying attention. Until an airplane was shot out of the sky. Yesterday, Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 took off from Amsterdam and was shot down over Ukraine near the Russian border. Nearly 300 innocent lives were taken. Their deaths are a outrage of unspeakable proportions. After a five-year investigation, four men have been charged over the downing of MH17. Three of them are connected with Russian intelligence. Igor Girkin, Sergei Dubinsky, Oleg Bulatov. And one is a Ukrainian rebel who fought with Russian forces. And Leonid Kharchenko. The four are accused of obtaining a book missile launcher in the Russian city of Kursk, driving it into Ukraine, and then shooting down MH17. Charges have been filed in a Dutch court, and a trial is due to begin next year. But the four suspects are unlikely to show up. And anyway, Russia has been denying involvement since day one. The war in eastern Ukraine has now been going for five years. Over 10,000 people are dead, and it created 1.8 million refugees. And on top of that, Russia wants you to think that Ukraine is too broken and corrupt now to function as a country. Ukraine is now a, a divided, failed, rogue state. Ukraine is permanently broken. The rest of the country is literally falling apart. There are now two areas of Ukraine claiming to be their own separate country, the nations of Luhansk and Donetsk. Meanwhile, Crimea is effectively part of Russia now, connected up to its electricity and road networks via a big new bridge. And that is critical, because a country can't join the European Union if a part of it is claiming independence. It's one of the many rules the EU has for nations who want to become part of its economic alliance. And Putin really doesn't want Ukraine, or anyone else, to join the European Union. In fact, that's kind of what all of this is about. We have seen Russia's playbook in Transnistria, South Ossetia, Abkhazia and Crimea. Russia has supported separatist groups who want to create their own tiny countries all over Eastern Europe. You've probably never heard of Transnistria, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, but they are stopping larger countries from joining the EU. So what has all this done to Ukraine's chances? Well, here's EU boss Jean-Claude Juncker. Ukraine will not be able to become a member of the EU in the next 20 to 25 years, and not of NATO either. That leaves the scoreboard at Putin 1, Europe 0. I'm Matt Bevan, 
and this is Russia if you're listening. It's produced by Ruby Jones and Will Ockenden. Next, German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Your quick thoughts on somebody like an Angela Merkel, for example. Uh, fantastic leader. She's. Uh, I, I was with somebody the other day. I think she's the greatest leader in the world today. The most powerful woman in the world. She's the, the smartest and the greatest leader in the world today. And this is a person that has great knowledge of her and deals with her. As a Russian speaker who grew up under Soviet control, no other world leader was as good at taking on Putin. So when Putin saw an opportunity to undermine her, he took it. No longer a fan. I may have to deal with her. But you know what? I'll tell you right now. No longer a fan. How Putin weaponized refugees to drive a wedge through the powerhouse of the European Union. For the next episode of Russia, if you're listening, subscribe now on ABC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Recommend us to your friends and please leave us a review. It really helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.